Good morning. I ask you to turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 1, book of Acts chapter 1. We're going to look to Acts, begin, continue in that series, just doing exactly what we just sang about, how God, the Lord, builds his church. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Just want to make note as we continue here in the life of our church, uh, this Sunday is the last Sunday of the month, so immediately following this service, as was the case with the two previous services, we'll have our church conference, an opportunity for us to celebrate what God is doing, as today we welcome new members into the life of our church, so we'll be sticking around for that, just to remind you. The book of Acts, chapter 1, I want to read there, verses 1 through 11, and Look then to how the Lord builds his church, and we'll find some things in this text that show us or teach us just that. Writing, the author says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we have confidence this morning in the truth of your word. And therefore, Father, we come asking that you by your spirit would mold us into sh and shape us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your word. So Father, even as we have sung, we give you all the praise for these things, all the glory, and it's your name that we seek to exalt today, the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ our Lord. For it's in his name we pray, amen. The book of Acts is technically volume two. Technically, volume two in a two-volume work by Luke. Luke was a physician who was converted to the gospel by the Apostle Paul. So about halfway through the book of Luke, you'll see where the pronouns go from third person to first person, where Luke is now traveling with Paul. And if you, if you have uh, the ability, just turn with me over to Luke's gospel, and you'll see how this works in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, 
It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And then if you remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it starts in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so these two putting it together, you see that these two books of the New Testament go together as volume 1 and volume 2. And with this, Luke secures and serves for us, uh, secures himself as the premier historian of the church. He is telling us the history of the church and how it came about. And though he has only these two books, Luke's Gospel and Acts of the Apostles, he has written the majority of the New Testament by volume. Paul has 13, John has five, I believe. And so you see all of that, but by the nature of Luke and Acts and the length that they are, Luke writes most of the New Testament. Now, that should be amazing to us because here's a Gentile who, who was not born a Jew, who was saved by the advancement of the gospel and the preaching of the word, who is used by God through the inspiration of the spirit to bring us the majority by volume of the New Testament. And as he's writing this, he takes the task to write this one named Theophilus, the name that means friend of God, referred to as most excellent in Luke's gospel. Most excellent was a title that was given to, to high-ranking officials. In fact, Paul refers to Festus and, and, and Felix in book of Acts as most excellent. And so those high-ranking governors in Roman society. And quite frankly, that may be who Theophilus is. Maybe he is one who uh, could have some influence at the end of this time when the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome and Luke is writing to him. Maybe because maybe he could have some influence so he wants to understand where Paul is coming from and the story that he has gathered. I think more likely is the case that Theophilus, a high-ranking official in Rome, has been converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there, as the gospel is even under attack, as you see in advance, Luke, also a Gentile, is wanting to make sure he has certainty, as he says, of these things that you have been taught, who Jesus is and what he has done. So that becomes the basis of it. The very nature of Luke and Acts together, those, those two books, is to bring about certainty or assurance of the work and word of God. And if we put these two books together, we have this incredible origin story. Now, we love origin stories, right? It's, I, I love to learn about how Coke, the greatest soft drink ever invented, was just some guy at a pharmacy in Atlanta came up with it one time. Or you learn how Apple was founded in a garage. Or how the first Louisville slugger was from this little kid who played hooky from his dad's woodworking shop to make a bat. Those things are incredible. Half the time, they're not even true, right? But then you come to this, and that's exactly what we have. When we look around us, and we have Taylor's First Baptist Church that is gathered here in this place, three services on a Sunday, God's people coming together. How did we get here? We need to go back to our origin story, and our origin story goes a lot further back than 1864. It goes all the way back here to the book of Acts. 
Our origin story is found here. How did this come about? What happens? And in the book of Acts, we kind of see this incredible moment where there's some 11 of these disciples gathered together, somewhat scared, definitely confused, not knowing what to do next. They gather together and Jesus comes to them and says, here is the message and here is the strategy. Here is what you are to do. And we see that, really, those two things in putting these two books together. At the end of Luke's gospel, Luke is writing there and summarizing the meeting of Christ with his disciples after the resurrection. Really an incredible moment. Those disciples locked themselves in a room, not knowing what to do. They knew the body had disappeared. There's no longer a body in the grave. They knew that there was two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus that came back and said, we met him on the road. They're not sure of what may come next. But here in Luke's gospel, Jesus finally appears to them on the night he was raised. And he said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you in Luke 24, verse 44. That everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In this moment, as Jesus is there, at the end of Luke's gospel, he summarizes the message that they are to go with that all of scripture is pointing them to, that the Christ should suffer, should die, be buried, be raised again, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed everywhere to all nations. That is the message of the gospel. That's the message by which the church began. And Luke summarizes that at the end of his gospel. Then when you come to Acts chapter one, now he's going to focus on the strategy. Having summarized the message, now what is it that we are to do? How is it that the church would be established? In other words, how do you go from 11 scared men in a room with the door locked to the church of Jesus Christ flourishing around the world as we have today? How do you get there, right? And ultimately, that's what we find in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The beginning of it. How does it begin? First of all, Luke wants to make clear that Jesus is Christianity. Jesus is Christianity. It says that he wants to tell them all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The message of Luke's gospel and the message of Acts is the message of Jesus Christ. It's about a person. It's not a list of rules. It's not a list of things. It's not a list of other morals that you are to keep or to make. It's not a political movement. It's not even a revolution. It's the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a person, Jesus Christ. And that is the message that you go with and that you proclaim. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the starting point, the fundamental thing is that Christianity is about Jesus. Luke is saying to us, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Now, that may seem simple for us to understand, but, but remember, as he tells us about Jesus, he's going to talk to us about how the church was formed. But that, for Luke, is the message of Jesus. All that he began to do and to preach is continuing here. Christianity, as Lloyd-Jones says, is not a teaching, it's a person. It's not merely a moral outlook that is to be applied in the realm of politics. It is a person. It is the summary of the apostles' preaching, the uh, summary of Luke's gospel, and the summary of the book of Acts, Jesus Christ. This is the message that they come to. 
who Jesus is, the Son of God, and what he has done. Died on the cross and been raised again. That's what he's done. And that's the message of Christianity for, for all of us today, the person, who he is, and what he has done, the work of Jesus Christ. That's what we proclaim. That's what we give. And now, as he comes to Acts chapter 1, having understand that, you will see the strategy. The strategy for the church is to proclaim nothing more or nothing less than the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the message that they are to take. That is their strategy, to proclaim that message. In fact, I find it fascinating that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, when asked how he preaches or what he preaches, he says, I came to you to know nothing. I knew nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He summarizes his message, not that he's coming with political angst. He's not coming with fancy words. He's not coming with all this how-to or self-help. He's coming with a message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is the strategy of the church, to proclaim the coming, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection of Christ Jesus to the nations. That's the message and the strategy, the proclamation of those truths. But there's going to be this radical change here in Acts 1. In fact, Acts kind of shifts on this axis here. This change that is coming here in Acts chapter 1 and ultimately in Acts chapter 2. There's going to be a radical change in the mode of Jesus' action and instruction. Because Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's about to go away. And so before, in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is with them. He's teaching them. He's guiding them. He's, he's telling them what this means. He's helping them understand all of these things. He's demonstrating his power through miracles so that, that that gospel can go forth. He is with them. But here in Acts chapter 1, he is about to leave and ascend into heaven. And what comes is this most important event. And what I say by that is this. We know the virgin birth is important. We know the death on the cross is important. We know the resurrection is important. We know this ascension that's coming is important. But just as important as all of those is the coming of the Holy Spirit to his people. The coming of the Spirit to his people. Jesus has spoke about this with his disciples. He said to them in John chapter 16, it was the night that he was betrayed. He, he's teaching them about what's coming next. And he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I find this fascinating because Jesus is with his disciples and he says, it is better for me to go away. Now, isn't that incredible? I want you to see what this means. If Jesus were to come back today, if he were to come back today to walk amongst us, to be, and he says to me, Josh, you are no longer the pastor at Taylor's first, I am. Y'all know what I'm gonna say? You can have it, Lord, amen. Surely. I'll step out the way, I'll be happy to do it. You, it's yours, you're the head of this church, you're Jesus, right? You can have this. But you know what the truth is that Jesus says? It is better for us that he is on the throne and not even the pastor here. Why is that? Because with him on the throne, the spirit comes and builds and molds and shapes each and every one of us. It is to our advantage that he is there sending the spirit here amongst us and what has caused the church to grow and to grow unhindered and unthwarted, as Acts says, is the coming of the Spirit giving the power of the proclamation of the gospel in every dark place it brings a light. 
It's the Spirit's power that the church is built upon here. And this fundamental change in mode is Jesus is now on the throne. His Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has now come to empower his people, to proclaim his message to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what is that main work of the Spirit? The book of Acts teaches us more about the work of the Spirit than any other book in the New Testament. And what is that main work? Luke tells us that that great work of the Spirit is to be the vicar of Christ. This is not a word we use often, vicar, but what it means is one who stands in the gap and points to another. In other words, the Spirit's job and role in the church is to point people to Jesus Christ. The Spirit is not coming for its own glory. It's coming to point people to Christ. And that's the role that the Spirit plays in this. Not only has Jesus come to bring about salvation, the Spirit is now applying that salvation through the proclamation of his word to every heart that would believe. And the role of the Spirit is to point everybody to Jesus. No matter what gift it may bring, no matter what thing it may do, no matter what may happen in the church, the Spirit's role is to point you and me to Christ Jesus. So whatever moves and whatever happens, whatever we do, it's got to be empowered by the Spirit to point us to the Savior. And here's what we find. The teaching and work of Jesus is the work of the Spirit. And so when Luke says, I came to tell you everything that Jesus did and he taught, the book of Acts is just a continuation of everything Jesus did and he taught. The coming of the church is just a continuation through the power of the Spirit of everything Jesus did and he taught. We are in one story here that is moving us toward our very day and time. And with that as important, the coming of the Spirit as important, he says to his people, wait here. Don't try to do this in your own strength. Don't try to do this in your own power. I'll give you the strategy, but the number one thing you must do is wait here until the Spirit comes. Stay here in Jerusalem because you can't build this place in your own power. You can't do what I'm asking you to do in your own strength. Wait here, and when the Spirit comes, it will give you all that you need to accomplish the task that is before you. And here is that strategy empowered by the Spirit. Jesus proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Jesus is Christianity, and Jesus must be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. If I could summarize this whole sermon with one main idea, it would simply be this. The church is built upon the message and life of Jesus Christ, spread to the ends of the earth through his witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. The church is built upon the message and life of Jesus Christ, spread to the ends of the earth through his witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles here ask a strange question. It tells us that Jesus died and rose again and he spent some 40 days there with his, with his apostles, his disciples. And as he spent there, he spent time speaking about the kingdom. It teaches us that he ate with them, fish, fried fish. That's the way it'll be in heaven, right? It tells us that he spent time with him. He met with him. He taught with him. They even touched him. They were even with him. They spent these 40 days together. And in this time, he's teaching them about the kingdom. And now he takes them outside of Jerusalem. They're standing there on the mountain. And the very first thing they ask, is it now the time that the kingdom is to come? Is this it? Is now the time that it's to come? Is this what we've been waiting for? Are we about to do this thing? Are we all ready? And Jesus is letting them know that they still don't understand. They still don't quite get it. 
And what he says to them here is very important. Is now the time to restore the kingdom of Israel? He says to them, that's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by your own authority. It's not for you to know. In other words, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the time or the seasons. Hear what he's saying. I want you to hear what he's saying. The time and place of his return is not something you are to worry about. We began our Wednesday nights back. I've been teaching through Genesis, seems like forever, y'all know. This past week, to God be the glory, we moved into Exodus. And somebody at the end of that came up and asked me, Josh, when do you think we'll get to Revelation? I said, don't worry about it, you'll be dead. Don't worry about it, and then you'll know. We have this infatuation, don't we, to try to figure out what's going to happen at the end. And I get it. We want to make sure everything we're invested in, we want to make sure everything we're doing is going to come to fruition. We want to make sure everything we believe is true. So we have this infatuation about how do we determine the end, the times, the seasons, how is this going to work out, all of these things. Well, let me just go ahead and give you the confidence that God's word gives all of us. Jesus wins. Above everything else, don't worry about that. We have a job to do, Jesus says. Our task is to be witnesses of the gospel of Christ until the day he comes. And this is established even in this passage. He tells us you are to be witnesses. Don't worry about the end of it. Worry about what your task is now. You are to be witnesses, powered by the Holy Spirit, advancing the message and work of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what you're to do. That's what you're to be after. That's what you concern yourself with here. Sometimes we think in a now-centric way, if you will. Like right now is the most important time in all of human history. And oftentimes we read this passage like that. So we need to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. And what's our Jerusalem? What's our Judea? What's our Samaria? But in the history of the church, understanding in the context of Acts chapter 1, we are the ends of the earth. We are testimony here today that from Jerusalem, the gospel has got all the way to Taylor, South Carolina. We are the ends of the earth in this passage. Now, surely we can have the same strategy. We work in our communities. We work in our neighborhoods. We work in our state. We work in the nations. But in the, in the understanding of the time and the story of God's word about the advancement and building of his church, we are testimony to the fact that the church began with those small little 11 in Jerusalem. And it is here today, some 2,000 years later, stronger than ever as it builds itself upon the message and work of Jesus Christ. Christ. We are the ends of the earth. And our job and role is to keep going into those places that still may not have heard. We keep spreading. We keep going. That is the strategy. We have the message. We have the strategy proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. And we witness to all that Jesus said and did and has done, even in our own lives. That's why we call it. We're going to witness to someone or we give our testimony, if you will, as a witness would do. It's just nothing more than telling our story of everything Jesus has done, everything he said, even in our own lives. That's that same strategy that has been given to us. But there's a sign here. There's a sign here that this won't be easy. And it, it may not be what you get, but you can catch it here, especially this side of church history. He says, you are my witnesses here. You are my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. 
Well, that word, the Greek word that is used in this passage for witnesses is martures. Martures is a simple word. And, and from that word, we've transliterated it into an English word. We get our word for witness from this word, martyr. You were to be my martyrs. Now, we know what a martyr is, right? And the reason why we know what a martyr is is because of the book of Acts. Because as witnesses, each and every one of these who would be commissioned as witnesses, martyres, would die because of the proclamation of the gospel. Only one that wouldn't would be John. And at the end of his life, he would be exiled on a prison island of Patmos there to die and to leave himself there by the government. So this word, martyres, becomes a very word that we refer to as martyrs, those who have preached the word, and because of preaching the word, they have been killed for their faith. And you can go through the whole list of these men in this room, just a few of them to say it. Thomas, he took the gospel to India as far as he possibly could, and there he was killed by a Hindu priest. Nathaniel, he traveled more than any other uh, apostle by record. He went into Iran, Iraq, Ethiopia, India, all the way through Arabia, and finally, in, 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 in Western, uh, Eastern Asia, he was skinned alive and crucified. Jude, beaten with a club, crucified in Turkey. Matthew, staked with a spear to the ground in Africa. James, beheaded by King Agrippa. Andrew, hung in Greece, and he hung on a cross for two days, not dying or perishing. And the testimony was for those two days he preached the word from a cross. Each one of these, and the list goes on and on, became martyrs for the faith, witnesses to Christ. And what's incredible for me is when you end the book of Acts, and notice that this book of Acts spans about 30 years in time. When you end the book of Acts, it doesn't tell us about Paul being crucified. It doesn't tell us what happened to Peter. It doesn't list out how all these disciples were killed. What it tells us is that the gospel went forward unthwarted and unhindered. Because it's not built just simply on these individuals. It's built on the testimony of Christ Jesus, and no one can conquer that. That's what this book is about. That's what it means to be a witness. And then we, when we realize this, when we see this, we got to ask the question, what made them so confident that they would preach the gospel even to death? What made them so sure? Now, we can go back and, and look, right? Not only did they walk with Jesus and hear him preach and teach and see what he did on this earth. But they also saw him hanging on a cross. At each point, despair would kick in for them. But they also saw him in that upper room that night having been resurrected. And they also spent 40 days with him in many different places as him appearing after the resurrection to his disciples. And they also went up here on the mountain, this mountain that they would call Olivet. They went there. And as they gathered there, Jesus gave them the strategy and then ascends into heaven. They saw all of that. And what is it that brings them this confidence? It's that all that Jesus said and did coincides with the promise that he gives that just as he ascended into heaven, he will return. The message of Christianity is Jesus. Jesus is to be proclaimed to all nations and Jesus will return for his church. The ascension here. The promise to return of Christ is the anchor and hope of the church. 
Our hope is not in a dead Savior. Our hope is in a living Savior who is now on the throne. And what we proclaim is not one who was, who was uh, harmless. What we proclaim is not one who was weak. We proclaim one who is greater, stronger, and mightier than all others. There is no other name above the name of Jesus Christ who rules and reigns on the throne. And what the ascension teaches us is it provides this visible demonstration of all he said and all he taught on display as he's promoted into heaven, placed on that throne. And we're not expecting him to come back until he comes back, if you know what I mean. We're not looking for him. We don't need him beside us walking through this daylight. We have the Spirit of God living in us. We have that power. And he's there on the throne, ruling and reigning. And as a church, we recognize that the head of this body is in heaven, ruling and reigning over the throne, and all authority is his. But not only that, we recognize that he's coming back for us. I love how it ends. These disciples sitting there, Jesus tells them the strategy, and then he ascends on a cloud into heaven. And what did the disciples do? Obviously, like all of us, they just sit there and gawk. Just staring. Good Lord, y'all see that? I love how the angels come to him. What y'all gawking at? The one who ascended is coming back the same way. Go. Wait on the spirit and let's get to work. For these truths are what the church will be built upon. And there's so much you can go through when you're proclaiming the gospel. There's so much suffering. There's so much persecution, just like these witnesses that came. There's so much of that that you can go through when you know that your Savior is alive and you know he's preparing a place for you and you know this world is not your home and you know that he will come back for you one day. Those are the truths by which the church is grounded on. Jesus Christ, everything he said and did. Jesus Christ, the strategy of proclaiming his name to the deepest and darkest places. Jesus Christ will return for his people as our hope and as our anchor. Here is where the church is grounded. Here is what the church is founded on. And these truths we proclaim, as Paul says, until the day he comes back without hesitation, without reservation. And I'm going to tell you all the truth. I've got zero embarrassment of believing that one day my Savior will split the skies wide open and come back for his people. That is what the church is built upon. The book of Acts teaches us that this, this foundation of everything Jesus said and did accompanied with the power of the Spirit, going forth with the witnesses of Christ Jesus, that cannot be thwarted or stopped. You can kill them. You can put them to death. The church cannot be stopped. And for us, just like anything else, I want to put my name to something that wins. And this world is passing away. But the Lord will build his church. And so for us, that's where we stand. That's what we hope in. That's what we grab on to. But not only does he teach us he'll build his church, he teaches he'll build each and every one of us as stones into this, this building of faith that we come together. But if you are going to be built up into the body of Christ, his church, then you too must stand upon his truth. Jesus is the answer for it all. Don't turn to something else. Don't look for anything else. Don't try to find some political or moral argument. Just look to the one who died on the cross and rose again for your sins.
Jesus is the one who gives us the strategy and purpose in life. Proclaim his name is what we do everywhere we go. Jesus is the one who's returning for us. Build your life on those truths. Everything else is sinking sand. This, my friends, is the sure foundation of the church and the sure foundation of each and every one of us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you have done. Your kindness to us is on display by giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And so God, as we in this moment now of proclaiming your word and move into a time where we respond to you by singing praises to your name. God, I pray that each and every heart in this room, each and every eternal soul in this place, every one of us will build their life upon the rock that is Jesus Christ, the sure foundation of everything Christ did and said. And that they each and every one of us will invest our lives into the body of Christ being built together for the very purpose of proclaiming his name until the day he returns. God, nothing can thwart your word and your promise. So I pray, Father, that no one here today is looking elsewhere for their hope. But they look to Christ, which is the only sure, guaranteed hope. For just as you came, you will come again. God, help us to hold fast to that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. As we come to sing together then, I'll be standing at the front. If you want to be a part of a body that believes and preaches the gospel of Christ, we hope you would find a home here. But if you yourself needs to build your life upon the rock that is Christ Jesus, the truth of his word, then by all means we would love to speak to you today. Help you with this. Let's stand together and sing.